Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for our time together, worship and for communion. And Father, Lord, I just pray that you would bless our hearts, Lord, as we open up your word and hear you speak to, to us today, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I decrease that you would increase empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, Lord, everything that I say and every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me, for we pray this in your name. Everyone said, Amen. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 is today's text. Uh, today we're going to begin a new series from this amazing letter, this amazing epistle that I'm calling Last Words. Everyone say Last Words. And the reason why I gave it that title is because what we have in this letter are the last words of the Apostle Paul. It's the final letter that he writes. It's a, a farewell letter. And you could even say that it's a powerful, spirit-inspired last will and testament. Let me give you some background of this book. It was written in 67, 67 A.D. And Paul wrote this letter about five years after he wrote 1 Timothy. And he wrote 1 Timothy while he was in Macedonia. But he wrote this letter while in a Roman prison in chains awaiting his execution. And he was in a cold, dark dungeon in a single hole in the, in, in, in the, in the, in the in single hole, there was a ceiling for, for light and air above him. And Paul, what he's doing, he's suffering for the gospel. Two themes, be faithful and the gospel. Everyone say that, be faithful and the gospel. Be faithful is a primary theme, and the gospel is a strong secondary theme. And you see, Paul wants Timothy to remain faithful, and this is a theme that runs throughout this letter, his letter, and it, it ties all the pieces together. It's his message to Timothy and to us, every believer, right? It's to what? To be faithful. Say, be faithful. And this is what God requires of, of us. It's faithfulness, faithfulness even unto death, uh, to watch and, and to endure, to work, and to fully carry out the obligation of, of our calling to finish the course, to finish the race and live in anticipation of the crowning day that is coming. Someone say amen. Say, be faithful. Be faithful, in other words, to keep the gospel. Be faithful to keep the gospel. Be faithful to endure for the gospel. Be faithful to focus on the gospel. Be faithful to the word of the gospel. And Paul uses these many different terms and, and phrases to describe the gospel, but all of them, all of them focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul is urging Timothy and all believers, all of us, friends, to follow in his steps and finish the race faithfully. Key verses, chapter 2, verse 15, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, and chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, and also verses 7 through 8. Again, 2, 15, 3, 16, and 17, and chapter 4, verses 2 and 5 through 5, and verses 7 through 8. Key doctrines, salvation by God's grace, the person of Jesus Christ, perseverance, and the inspiration of the scripture. Again, salvation by God's grace, the person of Jesus Christ, perseverance, and the inspiration of scripture, key doctrines. An outline of 2 Timothy is a call to loyalty, that is chapter 1, a call to endurance, that's chapter 2, a call to orthodoxy, another word for doctrine, that's in chapter 3, and a call to service, that's chapter 4. A call to loyalty, endurance, orthodoxy, and service. Someone say amen. Now, Paul knew that his time was coming, and this letter is the final counsel, listen now, of a dying man from the heart of a man who knows that he's dying. 
And so what that should do, friends, is cause us to consider the reality of death and how we might react when faced with it. That being said, I want every one of us here, every one of you to think for a moment, and if you knew that you were about to die, if you knew that you were coming to the very end of your life, what would be the last things and the most, the last things, the most important final last parting words you would want to say, you would want to write down? Because that's what we have before us here in Paul's final letter. The title of the message today is Fan into Flame. Everyone say that. Come on, more enthusiasm. Say fan into flame. Now before I give you the first point, let's look at verse 1 because this is Paul's greeting or Paul's salutation. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now we know that apostle simply means one sent out as an official representative of Jesus Christ. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Say, by the will of God. Paul's right as one who has been fully called and fully commissioned by the will of God. It wasn't as though he was chose, that Paul himself chose to be an apostle. It was by the will of God. And if you know the story, in Acts chapter 9, uh, Paul was on his way to persecute Christians. And on the road to Damascus, God knocked him off his high horse, literally. He, he, he knocked him off his high horse and then commissioned him to be an apostle. Let's read on. According to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the only time in all of Paul's letters that he uses this phrase, the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now remember, this is coming from a man who is about to die, right? He's about to die. He's going to die soon. And knowing that, Paul knowing that, his focus is on eternity. Are you guys with me? He's holding on to the promise of life. Paul knows that his life here on earth it's coming to an end, but eternity with Jesus Christ is at his doorstep. And he knew, Paul knew, that his faith in Jesus Christ gave him the promise of everlasting, eternal life. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Listen, this, this is so encouraging for every one of us, right? As Christians, death is just a doorway into eternity with Jesus Christ. As Christians, death is a graduation moving from this world into eternity. In fact, as Christians, in a real sense, we really don't die. We just move to a different address. Can I, can I get an amen? And you see, it's in eternity that we shed the temporary for the eternal, the passing for the everlasting, from sin to sinlessness, from all that hurts to all that brings everlasting joy. There in eternity there will be, as Revelation 21.4 says, that he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. That, that's the promise. That's the promise of life that Paul is talking about and that's the promise of life that Paul is looking forward to. And that should be, friends, the promise of life, right? The promise of life that you and I should be talking about and you and I should be looking forward to. Four points, if you're ready, say yes. Number one is the recipient. Say that. Write that down. Look at verse 2 with me. The recipient. Look at verse 2 with me. To Timothy, my dear son. I want to stop there. This is an affectionate reminder of their relationship. Now, Timothy is not Paul's true son in the flesh, but his true son in the faith. And Timothy had a father who gave him physical life, but... It was Paul who God used to give Timothy spiritual life. 
He came to faith, Timothy came to faith as a result of Paul's ministry. So Paul is a, listen now, Paul is a spiritual mentor. Paul is a spiritual father to Timothy. And by the way, friends, it's a good thing to have a spiritual father or a spiritual mother in your life. Someone, listen now, someone who is older in the faith, someone you can look up to, someone you can learn from. And Paul was that kind of person to Timothy. Amen? Then Paul gives Timothy a blessing from the heart. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, and we covered this before, grace points to God's undeserved, God's unmerited favor towards us. Grace is God's giving us, God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy, say mercy, points to God's compassion toward us in our misery that is due to our sin. And mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And then you have peace, say peace. Peace, what it does, peace points to the result of salvation, both to the peace of God in our hearts and to the peace that we enjoy with God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. When we receive grace and mercy from God, we receive his peace. Let me put it this way. Grace and mercy is the fountain and peace is the stream. Can I get an amen? Say the recipient. Number two is a remembrance. Say that. The remembrance. Write that down. And look at verse 3 with me. He says, I, I thank God whom I serve, love that, as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. I want to stop there because forefathers here in the text refers to those Jews before Paul's time that genuinely followed God with a pure heart and not in a, the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. Now I want to stop there because I want you to think about Paul and his circumstances. Paul is in a cold dungeon, okay? A cold dungeon. And, and you know, he's ready to die, right? He's waiting execution. And he's actually, in that circumstance, he's actually thanking God. Ought to blow your mind, right? That he had the privilege in his life of knowing God and not just knowing God, but serving God. I thank God. Huh? Now notice the phrase, with a clear conscience. Now if, if you were with us through the, the, the study of 1 Timothy, you will remember that Paul mentioned the word conscience in 1 Timothy about four times. A clear conscience was important to Paul, and it should be important to every one of us. Can, can, I, can I get an amen? You see, it's not just how we live our lives in public, but also how we live our lives in private. How we live our lives when no one else is watching. Listen, friends, we should all strive, say strive, to live with a clear conscience that we would live our lives publicly and, and privately in such a way that's consistent with our profession of faith. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Our belief, this is what I'm driving at, our belief needs to be consistent with our behavior in public and also in private. Let's read on. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Man, what I love about Paul is this, that Paul was a praying man. Paul was a praying man. And rather than sit in prison and pout, Paul prayed. When Paul wasn't preaching, Paul was praying. Amen. Paul was others 
focused. He was praying. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Pray for others. Everyone say that. Pray for others. Timothy was laid on Paul's heart. And so his memories, Paul's memories of Timothy, continually moved Paul to pray for Timothy. Amen? Listen, one of the most powerful things we can do when we think of someone is to pray for them. When someone comes to mind, amen? When someone comes to mind, you should stop and pray for them. When God lays someone on your heart, whoever it is, stop that moment, stop at that moment and pray for them. And Paul did that, constantly praying for Timothy. Now, as Paul remembers Timothy in his prayers, it prompts in Paul a memory of another kind. Let's read verse, look at verse 4. He says, recalling your tears, Timothy. Recalling your tears. Perhaps the tears Paul remembered were the tears Timothy shed at their last parting. Like, you know, Paul, I'm going to miss you. I mean, you know, Paul, I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again. So, recalling your tears, Paul says to Timothy, and he says, I long to see you, Timothy. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Do you guys get that? See, Paul is urging Timothy to hurry to Rome, to Rome for one last visit. Now, history doesn't record whether or not Timothy met, made, it, excuse me, made it to Rome before Paul's death. Nonetheless, Paul wanted to see his son in the faith. And this would fill Paul with so much joy. And Paul, just like any of us, would be filled with joy from being with close friends and family, right? I don't know about you, but when I'm with close friends and with family, I'm filled with joy. There comes a sense of joy in your heart as you're fellowshipping with your close friends and, and fellowshipping and partaking with your own family, amen? And Paul wanted that. Verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And stop there. Timothy possessed sincere faith. Faith without hypocrisy. Genuine, real, true faith. And this is what Paul remembered about Timothy. So it says, I, I am reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. I want to stop there. Do, do, you, do you guys see what Paul's doing here? He, he's connecting Timothy's, listen now, Timothy's sincere, real, genuine faith to Timothy's grandmother and mother. Timothy learned it from them. And Timothy now is emulating that same faith. So this is a reminder to us of godly heritage. And what Paul's doing here, Paul is commending Timothy's grandmother and mother. You see, friends, the things Lois and the things Eunice taught Timothy matched the way they lived. In other words, their words matched their deeds. Their faith was real. Their faith was authentic, unhypocritical. They were a godly influence in Timothy's life. He got it from them. He's a recipient of their influence. Let's read on. And I am persuaded. Say persuaded. Underline that, highlight that, circle that. I am persuaded now lives in you also. So Paul's like, Timothy, I'm reminded of your faith. Hey, you have a sincere faith, a real, genuine, saving 
faith, and not just that, it's rich faith, it's stable faith, it's unwavering faith, it's the faith that came through your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know it's now in you. Get this, it wasn't enough that this genuine faith was in Timothy's grandmother and mother, it had to be in him also. Paul says, now lives in you also. And my point is this, friends, one must have their own relationship with Jesus Christ. Just because your parents or grandparents are saved doesn't mean that you're automatically saved. Can I get a witness? You got it, right? You're not grandfathered in the kingdom of God. God only has children, not grandchildren. Let's go back to the text. I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul saw Jesus in Timothy's life. And the evidence was there. So, so this begs the question, friends, do those around you, those closest to you, hold the same kind of persuasion that your faith in Jesus Christ is genuine? I want you to write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. I kind of want to put this together here. And Paul, Paul, the same author of 2 Timothy, Paul says, examine yourselves. To those in the church in Corinth, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test, say test, yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, unless Paul says, of course, you fail the test. The test here that Paul's talking about isn't asking how often do we go to church or how often do we read the Bible or how much do we pray or how many verses you and I memorize. No, he's not saying that, friends. It's asking us to make a determination if we are in the faith or not. It's an issue of in or out. It's an issue of real or fake. It goes right to the bottom line, friends. Are we even in the Christian faith? Listen to what Paul said again. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Why did Paul say that? Why? Because when Jesus comes into your life, things change. Your life is no longer the same. If Christ is in you, friends, if he is in you, then it's impossible to stay the same. He is doing a work in you. He's doing a work in me to transform us more into his image, not our image. Amen? Transformation, say transformation, takes place. You see, salvation, okay, is not just transaction, it's not just coming and saying the sinner's prayer. It's transformation. Praise God you said the sinner's prayer. But there must be evidence in your life that you're being changed. Amen? Listen, get this. It's impossible, say impossible, to receive Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and have you go on and live your life completely unchanged. There's got to be a change in your life. Let me ask you this. Is the evidence of Jesus Christ in you persuasive? Huh? That people would say, huh, I see that Jesus lives in you also. I mean, I can see it. Can they see it? Hopefully they can. Is the evidence of Jesus Christ in you persuasive? Now, I want to say this because this is the only time these two ladies are mentioned in the Bible. You guys with me? And we have no record of any other contribution they made. We, 
There's no record of their employment. There's no record of their achievements. But what we do know is encouraging, isn't it? Listen, if they, if they, these two ladies, accomplished nothing else of significant value, they helped shape a young man who would be used mightily of God to spread the gospel. Every single soul that was saved under Timothy's preaching would be the fruit or be fruit added to their account. Amen? So you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. Live out your faith. Live out your faith. Now you can talk all, all, of, all you want about your faith. Talk all you want about your faith. You can talk, 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 talk. But are you living it out? Are you with me? Live out your faith by living a lifestyle, say lifestyle, that promotes godliness, conviction, rightness, righteousness, excuse me, and integrity. That, listen, that your children, parents, that your children would not only hear Jesus on your lips, but also see Jesus in your life. Listen, never, say never, underestimate the power of influence. You see, Paul, what he does, he issues a challenge to parents and grandparents. Think about that, okay? We must recognize our spiritual responsibility to be, God, to be a godly influence in the lives of our children, and not just in our children, but your grandchildren as well. The faith we possess is passed down from one generation to the next. Don't stop being, listen now, don't stop being parents and grandparents. Don't stop being that godly influence in the lives of your children and grandchildren. I got to tell you something. God blessed me with an amazing, wonderful, godly mother. I got to tell you, man, I miss her every day. There are days I just cry. Most of the day I just cry thinking about her. But I thank God for her. I am here today and doing what I'm doing today because of her godly influence and godly impact in my life. She made a difference. So whenever people are coming forward to accept Christ at the altar call, when people are getting impacted by the word and the preaching that God's allowed me to do, she's part of that. That's the fruit and influence of her labor in my life. Amen? Now perhaps... You're discouraged. Perhaps you're discouraged because your children, even grandchildren, are not interested in the things of God. Perhaps they've rebelled and perhaps they've strayed away from God. And I get that. I get that. It can be very discouraging, can it? Right? But keep praying for them. Keep praying. Keep praying for them. Keep, keep loving them. Keep, keep living a consistent, godly life before them, and never underestimate the power of parental godly witness. Amen? Don't give up on them. Amen? Be that example to them. Say the recipient. Say the remem remembrance. Number three is the rekindling. The rekindling. Write that down. If you're still with me, say amen. Look, look at verse six with me. For this reason, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. So here Paul, what he's doing, he's talking about Timothy's spiritual gift. And we know that Timothy's spiritual gift is a gift of preaching and teaching. 
And remember, friends, what Paul said back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. He says, do not neglect your gift, Timothy. Don't neglect it. Which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul is simply saying, Timothy, you can't be passive and expect the effects of your spiritual gift to just happen. Okay, you got to keep fanning to flame the embers, the embers which is already glowing. In other words, Timothy, it's your responsibility to keep rekindling your spiritual gift. Are you guys with me? And Paul wanted Timothy to keep his gift burning at a full flame level. The flame wasn't gone. It wasn't gone, friends. But it needed to be intensified and rekindled. Warren Wiersbe said this, Timothy did not need any new spiritual ingredients in his life. All he had to do was stir up, say stir up, what he already had. Paul had written in his first letter, neglect not the gift that is in thee. And now he added, stir up, stir into flame the gift of God. Now, now perhaps, we don't know, perhaps Timothy was losing his fire for ministry. There could be several reasons why he was losing his fire. Could be his teachings were opposed. We don't know. Could be that. He, he was young, minister, right? Probably didn't have confidence. He, he had physical problems. We know that. He had a timid personality. And, and also his father in the faith, Paul, was about to die. Now, now there is no question that those kind, kinds of pressures could cause any pastor to back away and lose some of the fire for the ministry. But Paul didn't want that to happen to Timothy. And so he needed to motivate, Paul needed to motivate Timothy and encourage Timothy to keep going and to stir up and to fan into flame his spiritual gift. And you see, friends, all fires die out. They all die out unless from time to time they're being stirred up. Right? Stirred up. And I don't know. I don't know, but perhaps, perhaps you need to rekindle the fire of your ministry. Perhaps you need to rekindle the fire in your heart. And perhaps the fire is fading away in your heart. Perhaps the flames are running low. And it could be because of business of life, because you just lost the fire. I don't know. But you need to rekindle those embers. You need to fan into flame and, and, and make it rise again into a strong flame. Can, can I get him in? So, so this begs the question, how do you do that? I mean, if my flame's low and it's running low and it's, it's fading away, how do I get it back to where it should be? Well, stay in the Word. That's how. Stay in the Word because God's Word is like fuel to the fire. It's meant to ignite our hearts. Also, keep using your gift. Put it into action. Don't stop using it. Keep using it. Okay, don't put it on the shelf. Keep using your gift. Keep being stretched. Stay involved. Serve and never get comfortable. And that's the issue sometimes. We get comfortable in the ministry. And the flame begins to fizzle. An, un, an unattended fire finally becomes ashes. So fan the flame. Now, notice Paul doesn't say start the fire. But rather, stir up the fire. Right? Stir up the fire that is already burning inside. Another way to say it is use your gifts now. Serve God now. Get involved now. 
Listen, listen, God put God put the fire inside of you, but you have to stir up the flame. All right? God did his part. Now you got to do your part. Let it burn. Say, let it burn. Follow me. If you can teach, teach. If you can help, help. If you can write, write. If you can sing, sing. If you can cook, cook. If you can invest, invest. If you can build, build. If you can serve, serve. If you can lead, lead. If you can encourage, encourage. Everyone can do something for God. Hold on now, hold on now, and listen now, and most of us can do more than just one thing for him. Amen? Ready for the lesson? Here we go. We were saved to serve. We were saved to serve. God saved us not to sit and spoil, but to serve. Did you know, and we might have heard this many times, that 20% of the church members do 80% of the work? It's true. It's true. But God never intended to be that way. Never intended to be that way. Never, never. He intended that all whom he saved, all whom he saved, should serve his cause in some capacity. Yes. Every single person that God has saved, has a gift. And God expects you to use it. And sadly, some of you are sitting on your gift. Are you with me? And you've allowed the flame of that gift to fizzle. Fan into flame the gift that God has given to you. Say the recipient. Say the remembrance. Say the rekindling. Number four is the resources. The resources. What Paul does, Paul encourages Timothy by reminding him of his resources. Look at verse 7. For God did not, say God did not, give us a spirit of timidity. Another word for that is fear. And we'll stop there. We we don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell us, we don't know what Timothy was afraid of. We can guess, perhaps, it was the fear of failure. Perhaps it was a fear of not measuring up. Perhaps it was a fear of difficult situations at his church. Perhaps it was a fear of Paul's circumstances, seeing Paul, what he's going through. Perhaps it was a fear of the future. Whatever it was, Paul reveals that those fears are not of God. They're not only not of God, they're not From God. God, listen now, has not given Timothy, nor us Christians, a spirit of fear. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Whenever fear grips our hearts, and it does, whenever fear grips our hearts, we need to remember that God has not placed those fears within us. Are you guys with me? It's not God. Say, it's not God. Well, who is it? It's the devil. It's the devil, right? It's the devil who places those fears in us, the devil likes to create fear in our hearts. And what he does, he's real wily. What he does, he whispers to us, you're not qualified to do this. He whispers to us, you can't do that. He whispers to us, you don't have what it takes. God can't use you. You're wasting your time. Listen, the devil's a liar. Say, say that. 
And he will do, he will do whatever he can. Listen now, he will do whatever he can to keep you and I from serving God wholeheartedly. So he puts fear, fear, fear in our hearts. Listen, Paul says, all you need to know is this. Fear is not from God. And Paul's like, hey, listen up, Timothy. Listen up, all believers as well. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but here's what he has given us. Let's read on. But a spirit of power. Say power. Now, now say it like you have power. Say power. This is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. Okay, say dynamite. Listen, the Holy Spirit does not produce fear. The Holy Spirit produces power. Amen? Say, say, say power. The Holy Spirit is, listen, is the one, the Holy Spirit is what gives us, gives us the power to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is what gives us the power to witness. That gives us the power to serve. And I want to say this, that being said, it's foolish for us to try to serve God. It's foolish for us to try to use our gifts without the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, our talents and our abilities and our giftings and our training and experience cannot take the place of the power of the Holy Spirit. And sadly, we have a lot of folks in church that are operating in their own power and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. But a spirit of power, let's read on, and of love. Say love. In other words, this is the attitude which we serve. We're talking about serving, right? Gifts, right? This is the attitude which we serve. And no doubt that there were people in Timothy's congregation who were unlovable and difficult. However, Paul encouraged him to love them, to love them through God's Spirit. Because you can't love them on your own, <laughs> right? You need God's Spirit to love them. Of love, say of love. Let's read on. And of self-discipline, or, or your Bibles might render it as a, a sound mind. The word self-discipline, I like that better. The word self-discipline means that when God gives someone a gift, he gives them the self-discipline needed to exercise that gift. Follow me. It means that you use the gift that God has given you in a sensible, controlled manner in line with his purposes in each situation. You're disciplined to that. You see, it takes discipline to work, to do a work for God, no matter what the gift. And we must be disciplined, right, in our gifting as we serve the Lord. And Paul told Timothy, you keep fanning the flame. You keep fanning that flame, Timothy. It's going to take power. It's going to take love. It's going to take self-discipline to accomplish the task that God has assigned you and us to do. Because you can't do it on your own. You need God's resources. Can I get an amen? We're all ready to wrap this up here. Lesson, are you ready for the lesson? God gives us what we need. Amen? He gives us, isn't that great? He gives us what we need. 
And I want to tell you, friends, we can be certain that God has not called us to a task for which he has not equipped us. Whatever God has called us to do, okay? Whatever God has called us to do, he has equipped us to do it. If God has called you to do something, if God has gifted you to do something, he's equipped you to do it. He's given you the resources, resources to do it. Huh? So he's telling Timothy, hey, God's given you the resources. You don't got to be fearful about these things. The resources, power. He's giving you power. Say power. Power. God gives us the power, the strength needed to keep serving him. Amen? Love. Say love. God gives us the love we need to keep ministering to those around us, even those who are unlovely. Self-discipline. Say self-discipline. God gives us the ability to use the gifts that he has given us in a sensible, controlled manner in line with his purposes in each single situation. He gives us what we need to fulfill what he has called you and I to do. So as I wrap this up, what has God called you to do? Because if you're saved... He's deposited into your life a gift or gifts. And what are you doing with it? Huh? Think about that. Because this is the whole context of the message. Fan into flame. Fan into flame. The gift that God has given you. Some of you haven't even tapped into that. Some of you have been serving God, and all of a sudden you're stepping aside, you've got distracted. Busy doing other things, and the flame is fizzling. Go back to those embers and begin to fan the flame. Begin to fan, fan, fan the flame, the gift that God has given you. Amen? To advance the kingdom of the living God. Amen? Let's all stand.